Inside, it's comfortable. Inside a house, inside a family, inside a routine. But what if we widen our view beyond the fence across the street? Outside, we find people struggling with loneliness, poverty, families that don't look like ours or without a safe family at all. Jesus didn't call us to live by our neighbors. He called us to love our neighbors. Church family again, happy Father's Day. Can we give a round of applause for all the dads who are here? Absolutely, absolutely. This is good. And I was wondering, what comes to your mind when it comes to being a good dad? Now, a little bit about my life. I grew up with a very good dad. His name was Pastor Stephen Bloomer. In fact, he will be here next week. So if we have outdoor worship, you get to meet him. And one of the things that makes him a great dad is he's rocking awesome facial hair. He's got a mustache uh, from the era of Tom Selleck. And so uh, this is my best tribute to my dad, my, my beard, my facial hair. So, so maybe a good dad has good facial hair. I don't know. But, but seriously, something that I love about my dad is his heart for people. You know, as a pastor, I was able to see him uh, give his time, give his energy, give his money to help anyone and everyone, sometimes by sharing the gospel, sometimes by just lending his ear. He's someone who would pause and give the shirt off his back, whatever you needed, whether it be about a hospital bed, whether it be at church, whether it be taking time for the family who needed him and who loves him. Something that I learned from him is how great it is for a dad to have a tender touch and have a heart. So I've given you time to think what comes to mind. What makes a good dad? Is it a sense of humor? The dad jokes? Can you permit a dad joke today? Is that all right? Are you ready for this one? What did the Terminator do in retirement? Became an ex-Terminator. Yes, but I'm, yeah, uh-huh. And that's for all of those who are from Crete, because if you ever move from Crete, you're an ex-Cretian. But I'm, yep, yep. Um, right. Maybe it's not a sense of humor because dads aren't known for being that funny. Um, I was seeing a really good dad, though, on Facebook. It's uh, Colt Clark and the Quarantine Kids. Um, it, it's something that you can observe. He gets his whole family together, and one plays the drums, and one plays guitar. Anyone see this? A and they do all these oldies together, and it's just phenomenal. So maybe a good dad is one who says, I'm going to share my gifts with those around me. I'm going to teach them how to do this thing, right? And so maybe you have some dads who have taught you how to mow the lawn, how to fix a car, how to change the oil, and that's just what dads do. I was reading some articles about what make a good dad. And what came up quite a bit is that they lead by example. A, a good dad doesn't have to say, do as I say, but not as I do. Especially when referring to listening to mom, um, as they say, listen to mom, they also see that dad respects the lady of the household as well. What came up is that he is one who is loyal and committed to the family. One who not only created the tribe, but then protects the tribe that he's a part of uh, by making sure they have what they need. Uh, one analogy is that he's kind of like a rib. That just as the rib protects the internal organs, so a dad will protect those inside of the family. A final thing I came across was unconditional love. That a good dad is okay if the son doesn't play the sport that they played in high school. A, a good dad is okay that both uh, siblings are different in their own ways. 
A good dad loves his kids when they win the game and they get the award, but also loves his kids when they lose and when they fail the test. It doesn't change. So again, if, if you know a good dad, if you've had a good dad, it, it's reason to give thanks to God. But then here's something I also recognize, that this subject of dad brings for many a heavy heart. In fact, studies would show that one out of three people grow up in a household without a dad. One out of three. And then we know the stories of those dads who were present, but some wish they weren't. Because they actually did more harm than they did good. And then there are stories of dads who are so-called members of the family, but were absentee by how they acted around the kids and how they acted around the family and, and really didn't show up for anyone else other than what they were doing. And so here's what I want to call out. I recognize that Father's Day can bring many heavy hearts for those who are either let down or left behind by dad. But doesn't this draw you to the superiority of the God we came to worship? That regardless of your experience with dad, wherever you fell on the spectrum, whether good or bad, you still have the right for a perfect heavenly father. Because Jesus, as he says, when you relate to God, you know what you can call him? You can call him dad. And I love what one preacher said about this dad. There's a preacher named Louis Giglio who said, you know, God is not a reflection of your earthly dad. He's the perfection of an earthly dad. So to say it a, way, a different way, God was everything a dad was supposed to be. God is everything a dad is supposed to be. And the psalmist would even remind us that if we've been let down or left behind by dad, God is a father to the fatherless. Psalm 68. But I bring up dad because I think when you see a good dad, it very much relates to the topic that we're on, which is how to neighbor. And today we're going to talk about what it is to place others before ourselves. And for me, I was always drawn to my brother when he first became a dad and how his life just changed. Um, I was a bachelor at the time, and, and the car he drove and the time he spent always had someone else in mind. He, he did not have a cool car. He, he bought, again, the minivan and the SUV and you know, nothing that was cool. And, and then he made sure to always be home for um, bath time and to tuck the kids in. And I remember being so struck by how he would always place his family before himself. Well, that's not only a good dad, that's a good neighbor. And we're in part three of how to neighbor. And the theme is simply that we should place others before ourselves. And I'm so excited to get into the word of God. And I thank Meredith for bringing the water. Is it humid or what? Yeah. Um, I'm so excited to just consider uh, what, what Paul is going to say to us in Philippians. And uh, you have it before you in your worship folder. Uh, so why don't we turn here now? Um, these are the, the incredible words of what Jesus did for us and then how we should respond. I'm going to read the whole thing. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, this next part, some would say, is a hymn. So we sing hymns, they're songs about Jesus, and some commentators say this is a hymn that Paul put together, or maybe just the hymn that the people were singing about the greatness of who Jesus was. Uh, but it's metrically in the form of a song. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Powerful, powerful words, powerful example. Could we just uh, spend some time with our neighbors? Could you air high five someone next to you and say, after you, after you, after you? Oh, this is fantastic. one of those days where you just want to like pour it all over your head, right? I won't, don't worry. So I want to know, um, what were the Father's Day gifts? Did anyone go shopping for dad? Raise your hand if you went shopping for dad, okay? And uh, I, I remember, you know, it's Father's Day, having to go shopping for my dad as a grade schooler. And what does a grade schooler get for dad? Well, we were in El Paso, Texas, and there, if you think this is hot, it was much hotter there. <laughs> the, the sun would never stop shining. It is the desert, folks. And, uh, and so one of the things my brother got was a sun visor for the car. A and back in the day of, like, pleather seats, that was a really good gift, you know, so you could get in and not burn, you know, every part of your body by sitting in your car. Now, my brother was thinking car thoughts. When I was in grade school, I was thinking candy thoughts. And so when I got something for my dad, like, year after year, I always gave him the same gift. Gummy worms. $2 bag of gummy worms. And, and he was very appreciative. My dad's gracious. Like, he's not a needy guy, if that makes sense. Very, very gracious. But I do remember having this moment where I was thinking, maybe it was older, maybe it was like the fifth year of giving gummy worms. I don't know, maybe when I had a job and actually had some money and still giving gummy worms, I'm not sure. But I had this thought, dad has provided the roof over my head, the clothes on my body, the food that I eat, my education, a car to drive, and to all of that, I give... Gummy worms? <laughs> like, that's the best you got? $2 bag of gas station gummy worms. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> it didn't seem to fit. But it was good that I brought it anyway. And maybe you can relate that re regardless of what you gave Dad, um, it's his place to hopefully give more than you could ever give back, if that makes sense. The reason I brought this to your attention is because that's what the Word of God is setting up for us today. If you look at our lesson, Paul is drawing our attention not to what Dad has done, but to all that God, our Heavenly Father, has done. And I want you to look again at verse 1. Verse 1, he sets up all these things that God has done. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, if you have anything good from God, then bring the gummy worms. Now, what, what is Paul reminding us of? First of all, he's reminding us, 
it is so good that by the Holy Spirit, he called us into the family, right? And, and for many of us, it was our baptism. Through the washing of rebirth and renewal, we are called into the family. For some of us, through the word, as we are brought in, and, and how wonderful that gospel of grace that calls us in is. He's reminding us of love. And as I've said many times, God loves us better than our mom and our dad. That Jesus was one who gave all his time, all his energy, his very last breath to make sure we had what we needed. He reminds us of comfort. He's the God who says, you know what, right now I'm working everything for your good. When everyone else leaves, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. He's a God who loves us with an unfailing love, which no one else can claim. It says that he's compassionate and tender. And, and so I love these pictures of dad, um, you know, when a baby falls asleep in dad's arms, that's just a great picture. Or I saw a picture of a, a little girl giving dad a kiss on the cheek, and that was, that was a cool picture. Or, or maybe you remember as a dad, like, I remember cuddling with Nadia on the couch, and it's just neat, right? Those tender moments between dad and child is just awesome. And yet God is even more. He's a God who daily bears our burdens. He's the one who created compassion. And so Paul once again says, in view of all of that, if that means anything to you, all that God has done, bring the gummy worms. I love the echo. <laughs> but of course he doesn't actually say gummy worms, does he? I wish it were gummy worms. I, I can buy them for $2 at a gas station, right? That'd be easy. What Paul says to do in response for all that God has done is something far superior, but also far harder. So verse 2, he says, if this means anything for you, then, then, that's key, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. What he's basically saying is that what you can do in response, strive for unity. Does the world need to hear that right now? That we as neighbors should strive to be united? That we as neighbors need to remember we have way more in common than we do different? Yes, our stories of tragedy might be different, but we still have tragedy, all of us. Our struggle with sin might be different, but we all have that struggle. And we all have the same need for a Savior. We would be lost on our own. So God is reminding us, you have way more in common than you do different. Even with those who are very different on, on sides of the spectrum, wherever that is, whatever that differences lie for you. And Paul is reminding us, don't just be united as community members, but especially in areas that you should be united, like family on Father's Day. As friends in the church of God. You know, sometimes we see organizations that should be getting along not really doing that. I consider last year I was listening to Bears training camp, and I heard that uh, in day four, Kyle Long had gotten into two fights with his fellow players, and in one case, uh, took off his helmet uh, against a rookie to, like, fight him, and, and that's not what you expect uh, for a team going in the same direction. My favorite TV in quarantine was The Last Dance, and I was reminded that even in the Bulls dynasty, Michael Jordan actually hit Steve Kerr in the jaw. Y you don't expect that from such an incredible team. And then I consider families. 
where sometimes there exists sibling rivalry or favoritism or, or when husband and wife are just in constant friction and tension and cannot work it out. God says it shouldn't be. It is unnatural. It's wrong. But what jumped out of Scripture for me was that as unnatural as a team fighting against each other is, as bad as a family not getting along is, even worse is when the church can't get together. Because here we have the same Lord, the same baptism, the same guidebook for how we should live our lives. So when the church can't get along, man, that is against the will of our God. In fact, I was considering Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of you know what he was doing in the Garden of Gethsemane. What was he doing? He was praying. Some of you remember that prayer. As a Lutheran, I've, I've in many Lenten services gone over what that prayer was. Let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but yours be done. If you want to have a personal devotion this week, though, look up John 17. Because that's the prayer in, in long form. And couched in that prayer was not just take this cup from me and your will be done. But he also has this huge section where he prays for unity among all believers who would ever exist. That they would all be one as he is one with the Father. And then in my personal devotion, I was reading from Corinthians. And if you ever think that, you know, there was a bad church experience you had, it probably has nothing compared to what the Corinthian Christians were doing. It got so bad that um, <laughs> Paul the pastor said, don't meet together. And it wasn't because of COVID. He just said that when you guys meet together, you're doing more harm than you're doing good because you're divided. And they were divided for all sorts of reasons. Some said they followed Peter, some Apollos, some Paul. They had lawsuits among each other that they would take to the public courts to figure out what should have been handled inside the church. When it came to communion, some would come early and use all of the elements and get drunk, and there would be nothing left for those who wanted to receive it later after they were getting back. Incredible, right? So Paul says, these gatherings are more harm than good. It's where he went on to say, you're the body of Christ. You're, you're different, but you're all supposed to come together as one. And in this section, too, he was emphasizing unity. In chapter 1, before this verse, he was saying that as we conduct our lives in worthy manner of the gospel, it is to strive with one spirit to stay united. And so after all of that and, and scripture coming alive to me this past week, there shouldn't be disunity in the church. It's maybe why when I've come away with some church experiences that I've had such a, a foul taste in my mouth. Because it's not hidden. Sometimes the church just can't get along. And maybe it, it breaks my heart because it breaks the heart of God. And then I consider what Paul also wrote, that as much as it is possible, live at peace with one another. And, and I consider all the times, well, maybe I didn't do everything I possibly could. And what about you? Can you relate to any level the division of family? vision of church. We're not doing everything that's possible to keep the peace. That's why we need Jesus. Friends, he is always our hope. He's always the reason we build our church on Jesus' name, not on anyone else's name. And he is the most beautiful thing you can consider. When you look at the cross of Jesus, who does he die for? 
He dies for his disciples, and he looks at his mother Mary and says, John will take care of me now. He, he dies for the Roman centurion, even the one nailing him to the cross, saying, Father, forgive him. He dies for the thief he just met, saying, Today you'll be with me in paradise. And he dies for the Pharisees who are mocking him, saying, If you're the Son of God, come down, and yet he doesn't. Why? So at the other side of the resurrection, some of those Pharisees could be a part of the family of believers. Under the umbrella of the cross, we are all one. Sinners in dire need who have the same forgiveness and peace flowing from Jesus. How beautiful. And so if that's how Jesus looks at us, all is one. In Christ there is no east or west, north or south. We are all one. That is what we should strive to do not only as a church community, but as we look at people in our country. Knowing, again, we have way more in common than we do different. But the golden question is, Pastor, <coughs> this all sounds good, and my heart is even nodding. But how? How can I possibly continue to be united with people who are so different? so opinionated, so passionate on the other side, and so hurtful at times. Pastor, you know, bring in the gummy worms. It, it ain't $2. This is hard work. And God knows that. Which is why couched in here is a very beautiful picture of Jesus. The hymn of what he has done. But before I get into that, I was wondering, raise your hands if you've seen Undercover Boss. Been around for a while, one of those TV shows that have stood the test of time. And um, I've seen it a few times, and I love the concept. You have the CEO, you have a higher-up, who is willing to give up that position, willing to give up that status, to be just like the common workers, to help out the organization. It's a great concept, isn't it? Giving up all that they have to understand. Well, I think they ripped off the concept from Jesus. <laughs> he was the very first undercover boss. And that's what the lesson reminds us of. If I turn back to verses 6 and 7, it says, who being in very nature God. So, so he had the status. He had the name. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the fullness of the deity and ba bodily flesh. He is not less than, but he is God. But what did he do? He didn't consider equality with, with God something to use to his advantage. Though he was king of kings, he didn't use that title on earth. He was Joseph's family, and he was a peasant. Though he was the creator God, he allowed himself to have need of the creation, to be nursed and cared for by Mary. Though he is the ruler over all with all power, he had to escape from the promised land to Egypt because he was putting his power aside. And why? For you and I, so that we could be helped. And so how? How do we bring the gummy worms, you may ask? How do I keep united? It is by being the same as Jesus and having the same mindset. Earlier in the verses, in, in verses uh, 3 and 4, it says, So then, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. God says, neighbor, by striving for humility... And what is humility? Humility is not thinking of yourself 
more than others or less than others. It's just thinking about yourself less. You're not absorbed one way or the other with yourself. You're absorbed with someone else and what they might need. You know, one way my mom taught me this is by having manners around young ladies. I had a mom who said, when it comes to young ladies, make sure to hold the door, whether as they're walking in or the car door, and not because they needed help, but simply because you were saying, after you. You put their needs before you protect. And by the way, that was a pro tip by mom. I think helped me secure uh, a, a wife, which is great. Um, but isn't it a beautiful thing when this happens? When you see a, a married couple who you still have some after you going on, after you, right? I, 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 my, my parents are visiting my grandfather, and I still remember when my grandmother would do my grandfather's hair. My mom just took him to get a haircut, and um, it, it's just a beautiful thing when they help each other out after you. Maybe you've seen this in some households where after the kids have gotten what they need to eat and they're finally to bed, now you can eat and now you can get some rest. You're literally saying after you. Or maybe you've had this in some companies where a boss will lower themselves and, and try to understand what you're doing to help you out, use their position, saying after you. And it's one way to keep unity. When someone has an after you spirit, it can dissolve disagreement. For example, let's say the disagreement is over what to eat for Father's Day, and one wants tacos and one wants pizza. Tacos is always a better option, right? Um, and, and if you have an after-you spirit, it doesn't matter what you think. You, you hear, you want pizza? All right, after you, we're having pizza, right? It solves arguments on how to spend money. I don't need what I want. What do the kids need? What do you need a after you? It's what God set up between a husband and a spouse that they should be after youing each other. <laughs> it's not a verb. They should wake up saying, you come first. No, you come first. No, you come first. And in this regard, man, that's a beautiful marriage to be a part of. After you. It's what a good father does. So again, happy Father's Day. It's what the world needs. Would you agree that the world needs still more good men like good dads who are willing to say after you. And so they wrestle with their kids and they let the kids pin them to the ground because they're saying after you. And they have teenagers and they have pursuits that they might want to have, but they make sure the teens have what they need because they say after you. And they're married to ladies where they either hold a door or hold a hand because they've learned after you. And it's so beautiful because it's a picture of what Jesus did for us. And inspired by him, may we continue to strive to do the same.